Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, we are talking about being at home, what we're doing, the stuff we're surrounded with, and what we're watching. Hi, Ann Friedman. Hi, Aminatu. So, how's it going? Oh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. How are you? You know, Ann, I'm still here. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> let's, let's count our blessings. I will tell you, I am embroiled lately in a very intense, like, sorting process of my books, my, like, papers, my closet, and my craft supplies. <laughs> And I will tell you that it is really something at the end of this year to be confronted with all of these artifacts of the before times. Like I'm having a real personal reckoning to use the parlance of 2020 with all kinds of things I saved from the past. Uh, it really stresses me out how much stuff like I personally accumulate, you know? <laughs> Why are humans such pack rats? And I say this as someone who lives like a pretty compact life, but it's still just like too much stuff. Like it's too much stuff. I feel like that's true, but also, you know, so I have this habit of whenever something appears in print, it's like, you know, stuff related to our book or like things I wrote for really small magazines like eight years ago or like a friend, like I have you in the New York Times obviously saved, you know, like things like that. Like oh, I have a lot of look like, at you. I have a lot. I don't of, even have that. Oh, please. <laughs> of course. I'm like, I, I, I have some really real old old generation tendencies to be like yeah I'm just saving this whole section of the paper that you appear in because I feel like what I love like at an estate sale or something being able to be like oh this is the complete magazine from that time or like what was going on in the style section in 2018 you know what I mean um I kind of love that's that that's so funny that it's so funny that you say estate sale because I think that like I live my whole life trying to spare my loved ones like having to have an estate sale one day <laughs> Like that is, it's like anytime I go to one of these, I was like, man, if only this person had like, you know, diligently just like purged their stuff, their loved ones would not have to have this estate sale today that I'm sure is painful for them. So I am constantly just trying to get rid of stuff. But it's funny that you say the magazine thing, because remember when I moved into this apartment and I was getting rid of all my stuff, I think I sent you a picture of this. The only magazine that I have kept like intact from the like, an era of anything is the first time that I ever appeared like in that I ever got a byline which that you gave me in the prospect and the reason I kept it is because the cover story was written by our dear Dio Olapade so I was like oh this is like a I was like this is one artifact that can stay for me so in the memory box it is the only magazine that exists I mean obviously that is also in my stack of periodicals <laughs> <laughs> then I can get rid of mine thank you <laughs> now since you're the archivist for our family thank you now I can get rid of one more thing I like the idea you <sighs> can pretty much be assured that if you have appeared in a national print publication I am hoarding it somewhere <laughs> like don't worry <laughs> um, but 
great when I'm building the Aminatuso library of nothing, I will ask them to just reach out to you for the papers. I'm like, all of my papers live at annfriedman.com. So please go find them there. Well, so, so here's the debate that I'm currently having is like some stuff I'm obviously keeping, like photos of you in national publications. But there is this kind of gray area of like, Things that I wrote for money, like things that I'm just like, I purely did this because someone was willing to cut me a check and like times were lean. And yet here is this physical evidence of like something totally absurd that I never would have proactively said, this is a thing I want to write. For example, in 2012, Time Out Chicago, what? Commissioned me, <laughs> commissioned me to write a cover story about how the culture wars were over and liberals won. <laughs> You wrote a cover story about the culture wars were being over and I haven't read it? Excuse me? And like, I really, I found it and I had saved like three copies of this, first of all. Embarrassing. You know, not like I really believed it at the time. I was like, this is a decent paycheck and I'm going to take it. But um, there is something really interesting where I'm like, do I preserve the parts of my archive that are like straight up WTF or like I just did this for money do I want to remember things like that you know very different than I feel like sentimental and proud about a really cute photo of you somewhere or about like a nice review of our book like that feels good and I want to hang on to that but I'm like what is the value of hanging on to your embarrassing personal artifacts is there any (laughs) well I think that sometimes there is value right this is tough as someone who is always throwing things away but it's true that I hold on to like things that are that are meaningful. I guess you have to like take off your I'm Anne Friedman hat and put on your like I am curating the work, the body of work of Anne Friedman. <laughs> and I would not think about it. I wouldn't think about it as like whether you're embarrassed or not. I would think about it as like what does that represent in the work that you did, right? Because I have really enjoyed like going through some old stuff either that I've written or old like websites that I had made and been like, oh, actually I'm not like, I'm embarrassed by this, but I like that it represents like an evolution of my work, you know? Mm. I think like being a little more critical about like, okay, it's not just like the embarrassment factor, but really like, does it show that you've improved? Does it show that you've changed your mind? Like, does it show that you are in a particular time in your life that, you know, that was like some kind of struggle. And I like the idea of you holding on to things being like, oh yeah, there was a time in my life where I really had to write things for money and I was able to do that, even if they were not things that I would like love to put my name on. Right, like I don't want to forget that there was a time in my life when I had to do work like write things that I really didn't even believe in in order to pay rent (laughs) you know like I really that was a real moment for me of like okay like you and I get to talk about things that we really believe in deeply for part of our paycheck at least and like long story short I did save a copy of Time Out Chicago from 2012 (laughs) in which I declared the culture wars over like that is real the spoiler alert I need you to like scan it for me because I really need to read this or I'm gonna go find it on the internet this is like I remember a lot of like like obviously I have a google alert for you so I read everything you write but I like do not remember that specific instance I'm gonna try to like find that and read that That's going to make my day today. It might not have made it to the internet, to be quite frank. I mean, and the things you're hiding from me, you think you know somebody (sighs) and then they're out here telling you the culture wars are over in like publications and and I had no clue. I probably hit it from, I hit it from you in 2012. So I definitely wasn't chatting about it at any point in the last eight years. I hit it from everyone but my bank account. (laughs) Oh man, this is like, I've always had this idea that I wanted to do a zine with just friends where everyone just like writes a thing that is like one secret but there is no byline on it so you just it's like a post secret for friends and I want to know what 
everyone's like one secret is. I love that one of your secrets is this. I was just like out here writing reckless. Yeah, one of my secrets is that I can effectively argue for anything if you pay me enough. Like that is my shameful secret. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's not shameful. I'm proud of you. Also, you know what, Anne? We like we've been through a lot and I am really fighting this tendency that I know that like we both have and it's just like very human you feel like you have a little bit of stability and never wanting to look back to see how much work it was to get to where you are, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I've been your like work co-pilot and I know that you have been through like a lot of shit. So I'm glad that we can laugh about it today. But you know, I'm like the Anne of 2012, like really had to do a lot of like work. And I like, I love that this is one superpower that you have. You can argue for anything (laughs) and you can do that in writing and you can do it fast. so You can get paid for it. Like not everyone can say that. So good for you. Thank you. And also I have to say the closet clean out has been, which I had been saying I was going to do for all of COVID. At some point I maybe even declared it on this podcast. The closet call has also felt really, really good. I love this. Um, what I am not loving is that you're calling your closet and I have seen nothing that you're sending me yet. So please remedy that. Listen, um, as someone in a perpetual state of clean out, I thought I was sparing you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll take your I'll take your clean out. My queen of like thrifting good things. Oh, God, now I got to go through these totes and see what would be good for you. I was being pretty ruthless. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> there is something that feels really satisfying about, you know, like the pile of totes that just multiply like in various corners being like, oh, I'm going to stuff the totes I want to get rid of with other stuff I want to get rid of. Like that is really bringing me a lot of pleasure right now. Like Marie Kondo did not even touch that one. And I'm like my oh. my giveaway turducken of like clothes in totes that I'm giving away like, mm. I'm dying. I'm going to tell you what my secret is. My secret is that I am someone who lives in a one bedroom apartment who has like some very, very, very organized like drawers and like everything is labeled and like whatever. You know me. I'm a, like I'm a serial killer. But one of these, one of my like very organized like drawers and the whole thing is just filled with tote bags. <laughs> Like that's my sickness. And so the other day when I was like trying to figure out, you know, it's like the winter clothes have to come to the forefront and then the the summer clothes go in the back. And I was like, man, I I need more space. Like, how can I create more space? And then I was confronted with this like 30 or 50 gallon whatever full of tote bags. And I looked at it and I was like, even if every single day I wore a new tote bag, I would never get through this pile of tote. Why am I collecting tote bags like they're like commemorative magazines? And so I've started giving those away. I mean, because sometimes so I can they make are some, like, so I can make some room for my sweater. <laughs> I mean, they are. Some of them are great. I'm not going to lie. Then there's like my collection of bagus. I also have a bag where all my bagus live. And, you know, like you always need a bagu. But also I was like, I can't live like this. Like we've been living inside the house for nine months. Like, do I need like a hundred tote bags? Like, I'm not sure it's a hundred, but it definitely feels that way. So I'm going to start de-acquisitioning all of those from myself. I mean, one of the totes in my like, like giveaway zone of stuffed totes is stuffed with totes. So like, you know, <laughs> I really, I, I feel like there is some real like modern artifact. I'm, I know that people have written excellent essays about this, but like when like our society is excavated and they're like, what are, what is, what is, what is evidence of like, you know, this that we seem to be finding everywhere? Like, why did everyone have so many of these? They must've been really important. Right. They're, they're going to find your mummy with a tote bag and be like, this was a really important artifact. Artifacts 
people of that era. Fully, this like excess secretion of capitalism, which is like billions of totes, are going to be like interpreted as like some religious artifact or something. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> you know, now that you say the C word, I do think that this is why all of this <laughs> stuff, it's why all of this stuff like stresses me out. Like I only watch one episode of that TV show, The Home Edit. Me too, only um, one. It is not for me. God bless. It looks amazing. It's basically like a plot from like Big Container, basically, to like get us to, to <laughs> The other big C. To, right. Like a big container to, to get us to contain everything. In fact, it's, you know, I'm like all of the containers have to come from the container store. You can never find the containers at like other stores. And I was just like trying to like figure out for myself, like, oh, how did I start doing this? Like, why am I doing this? why is it that you just like need more stuff to like store your stuff or hide your stuff? And I think that for me, part of why I like, I like for, I always say that I need everything to have a place or I want everything out of view, which some of it is like 100% like my OCD. And before anyone comes for me, I am diagnosed OCD. So it's true. Um, and like, that's one part. But I think that the other part is that I also just don't want to be confronted with my own consumerism. Mm. The background of the pandemic when you're like, yeah, the, the global economic order is hanging by a thread and I start surveying the things that I have and I'm like, I don't need a lot of this stuff. Like I have it and it's nice not to have to go out and buy it when you need it again because that's fully the condition of being 30 something is that you're always buying something that you have like seven of already at home. But I just, I look at it and I was like, man, how am I, like, how am I living? And, and I think that there is a little bit of shame to that of just being like, I have more than enough and I keep accumulating things and personally it is not aligned with like the kind of person that I want to be and that is also just like tough I think about the fact that like as I kind of go through my books like when I moved away from DC I still think about books that I gave away in that purge which was like everything except for one small box and you know that ha- you know that half of my books are books that like I got from the trunk of your car right <laughs> Like any, any book that was like a feminist book or a policy book or like some weird like idea book that I, I was like, oh, I really want to read this, but I am never going to pay for this. Like I got all of those from your car. So it makes me really happy that those books like came to me. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I like, I feel, I feel the same way about, which is why I love a clothing swap, right? Like I think that that is a way to get the high without the uh, like moral ramifications, I guess. Um, But that is also, I mean, I feel really challenged by that right now where there's no way for those things to go to a good home right now. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because one of the things that I definitely miss the most because we cannot have people over in our homes is that I fully had turned into my mother where anytime you come to my house, you have to leave with something. Oh, fully. You can't just like leave. You cannot leave empty handed. So that's how I usually You are the queen of of take this candle home with you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like take this candle, take this comforter, take this like you know, I'm just like take a thing, take a thing, take a thing. And now I have my pile of things to be taken and I'm pretty good about like donating things. I'm good about like, you know, selling them on thread up or doing real real or whatever. But then there are these like sentimental items that I'm like I need I psychologically need for them to go to someone that I know will enjoy it right. because I, I purchased with like a, this like specific feeling or a dress where I'm like, I have such a good memory of it. And I like, I just need for someone that I know to enjoy it. Right. 
Yeah. And not being able, not being able to do that has been really hard. But now I've taken to just doing care packages of that. So I had a friend call me the other day and she was like, did you just send me a care package of the shit you didn't want anymore? <laughs> and I was like, yes, but it is like, it is all luxury items and like a high class. And she sent me a picture of her wearing the dress and it made me really happy. I don't know. Maybe someone will like find a good hack for this, but I'm, I'm ready for us to start hosting people again because I have many things to get rid of. It's true. And I think this is why I avoided it for so long. Long, but it's bringing up for me a lot of questions about like oh like okay in another year once we have dolly parton's vaccine and are like out in the world um oh my am God. i still gonna want to wear this thing that i'm attached to from the past is that gonna feel like a relic of the before times or is it gonna bring me joy in like whatever this world is that you know we all re-emerge into oh god like remember wearing pants that zip you know (laughs) i know and you know and i'm sure that like when life goes back to normal the phrase i hate the most but like when life goes back to normal or whatever or when we've had enough distance from the pandemic because of the dolly parton vaccine i am trying to take some like really positive things from this like rotten experience into the future and i think that knowing viscerally that i can live with so much less stuff than i have right now or knowing that like the stuff is not what makes me happy essentially i really want to remember that basically i want to have zero estate sale because i have already purged my own estate before i die right and i i actually have an idealized estate sale where it's like oh wow like the fabric left by this woman is really just like the best like you know, I, I like i want to impress some stranger who is not like oh my gosh there is so much junk here like this person never did an edit or never did a cull of their of their possessions but like i feel a great amount of joy when i walk through an estate sale and i see not boxes and boxes of dusty stuff they never looked at but like the idea of like <laughs> some st- some carefully chosen things that like really support an aesthetic and a point of view that someone has had like basically what, i'm trying to i'm trying to impress like future random estate sailor i am fully already <laughs> made peace with the fact that i will need an estate sale i have a deputized local friend who's going to remove like you know crusty bottles of lube from my bathroom so that they're not like seen by strangers <laughs> like i'm really i'm fully ready I'm ready to like go public with, with, this, with the stuff I have left over, like these books and this fabric. Oh my God. Yeah. Please just never forget our pact, Anne, that if <laughs> I go before you, which is likely what is going to happen, please destroy my journals and my computers. Like this is all I need and my electronics. I need you to dispose. I'm going to burn the gurnals. Is, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the pact that we have. Burn the gurnals, burn the computers, burn the electronics. <laughs> like literally with a hammer. Hammer them down to the like memory board. Yes. Um, It'll be part of my grieving all... process. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's all I want. Please celebrate me this way. Mm-hmm. Oh, like what a macabre like a uh, kind of topic but i'm into it i don't know it's like part for me part of why this is so it's so like vivid is because like i my family and i we had to dispose of a lot of my mom stuff yep. who you know like died like way too young just like way too young and i think we also did it like the wrong way because obviously it was like very unexpected and everyone was like dealing with their grief in this like fucked up way now I own like very little of my mom's like I have almost none of it because in our culture when someone dies you give their stuff back to their family essentially so like my 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 cousins and my aunts like have everything that I want and some of it is like hard for me and some of it is not but that was like a very um 
it like the going through the motions of that of having to like like basically box up everything that my mom owned was something that it, like it's going to stay with me for the rest of my life and I really want to spare someone else having to do that because it is just it's a lot so I think about that when I'm like accumulating things and I know that it's like very dark but it's still it's just like this stuff has to go somewhere and the stuff has like way longer life than we do like it has longer lifespans than we do I hear you true story about my parents is like maybe a year or two ago they mailed me a printed out itemized list of all of their possessions that they thought I might be interested in and were basically like put an x next to what you want and <laughs> good parenting good parenting good job good job to your parents I love hearing the most organized people but i also it was it was like yes there's obviously some things that i know that like i would want to hang on to but um it was really hard because i'm like you know i don't know what experiences i'm gonna have between now and you know whenever they die that i'm gonna that are gonna change how i feel about what i want to hang on to you know something that could could kind of appear meaningless to me now might end up being like full of meaning depending on what happens in the next like you know, two, five, ten years, whatever. And I think I like I like how it can be hard to decide what is going to be meaningful about you and your stuff to the people you leave behind. Like the list felt so funny for something that feels so complex and emotional to me. <laughs> you know, like I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like good parenting and right. Like this is what everyone wishes that their parents would do so that like things are like swift and painless as possible, like when they're grieving. But I also am like, that feels like part of the process, like reckoning with reckoning with stuff feels like part of that process yeah i guess the reason that i think that it's like such a good like parenting move or like you know i just like whatever is that it is just like normalizing this idea that death happens it's like people die all the time and then you have to make decisions in their absence and just even knowing that you have to do it now you know it's not pleasant it's not fun it's like who wants to think about it i think it's it's a muscle that we all have to exercise because the the older you get, the more you are going to be confronted with these decisions, whether you have to take care of your parents stuff or a sibling or your partner or your loved one or your whatever. But we are so uniquely bad at like reckoning with the fact that people die all the time, especially in American culture. And so I like the idea of, you know, you're, it, it's not that they're like, oh, you have to choose today. And then, you know, in like 50 years, you're not going to fight with your sibling over like who gets the couch or the whatever. It's more the fact that you're like, okay, this is something that I need to give some thought to because when the people are not here to dispose of their stuff, you need some sort of mechanism through which you can communicate about that. Mm -hmm. And relationships are different. You know, we're both like eldest born children of families, which means that like some of this will fall a little bit more on us. Mm -hmm. You know, shout out to the older sibling union. We are, we are fully like, you know, you know what the responsibilities are. But I find that like in a moment that feels so unnatural and is so hard and is so fraught, just having even a baseline of like, okay, we know what like our mom and dad wanted or we know what this person wanted makes it like a little bit easier even as you're going through the most like unimaginable grief and the not knowing when you have to make a decision for someone else i know firsthand experience that you're truly just like what the fuck like you have no clue how to navigate that when you have to make every single decision mm. yeah do you want to do you want to take a i'm i'm just like yes like let let that stand let the record let's let, take let's take a break let's take a break there's no home edit for grieving <laughs> 
There's no color-coded, like, grief system. (laughs) (sighs) Tell me what you're watching and doing at home. That feels like the the right move. I mean, this instance right now, as I'm talking to you, my phone is blowing up because four different people have sent me the exact same fleece and it all says like, we need this. And I was like, X out of the fleece. I don't need that. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been watching a lot of TV and I started watching that cult TV the series on HBO, The Vow, and it's so bad. It's like so I'm just funny. gonna tell I you. I thought now, you meant cult as in like so cult bad. favorite, not like literally about no, a no, cult. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean like literally about a religious cult, The Vow. The one it's about so, Nixium. Like, <laughs> about Nixium um, it's it's so bad and it's so irresponsible. Instead, watch the competing Nexium documentary called Seduced that they get to what is wrong with like I have I have not understood this cult since the beginning. Like the Times did a big cover story about it. I had been reading about it forever. I watched the vow and I didn't get it. I was just like, why? Um and I and I and I people who are in cults are one hundred percent victims, and I don't mean to make them sound like they're idiots or they're bad. Like I, I want to be really careful in choosing my words. But in everything that I had read and watched, I like I didn't get what the attraction was i was like this cult leader is like not attractive (laughs) this whole cult seems like it revolves around like playing like volleyball at night which is basically just like going to youth group and i i I just different kind of cults let's be real right like i don't get it like they're all trying to be famous and i was like if you're trying to be famous go to scientology proven results like why are you like (laughs) This cult is headquartered at Albany Rensselaer or whatever that university is called. Like, why, like you know, everyone here is an extra from Battlestar Galactica. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> and then in, I, like, did not get it. Like, eight episodes of it, like, did not get it. And then I watched Seduced and I was like, oh, this whole thing was about, like, it was basically, like, fake feminist empowerment. I was like, okay, now I get how you got everyone on board and I get how you actually victimize people because the problem with The Vow is that they literally the people who are telling the story are people who are complicit in making this cult like so terrible. So it's like the fire festival problem. It's the fire festival problem, but and like so much more dangerous, Mm -hmm. like fire festival. We can all laugh about this. Like honestly, the vow is the most like irresponsible documentary making I have seen like this like decade. It's so terrible. And I, and I've been like really disappointed that more people are not calling it out. Um, for what it is because it's so it's so fucked up i was like people's li- like people's lives are like at stake here how can you tell the story so irresponsibly but anyway all of that to say seduced is so much better watch that i watched the like a uh, white excellence um uh netflix uh limited series the queen's gambit like about chess so oh. good let me tell you i want i i actually am savoring it like i have a couple of episodes left the thing about the Queen's Gambit, first of all, I thought it was like some crown spinoff based on like the aesthetic and like the little thumbnail on Netflix. <laughs> I was like, you know, I have been kind of like limping along, keeping up with the crown, even though it is like I'm not a royal family person. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, God, is this like the competing or like some other? No, no, different kind of queen. And I have to say this is like, OK, a true thing about me for a long time has been that like a sexual root for me is sexy chess. Case in point, Madonna's Power of Goodbye video from like the Ray oh, of Life ep- album when you. I was a teen 
features like please go watch it it is like like madonna in her kind of like 90s tom ford like era on like a windswept rainy island playing like sexually fraught chess with some like bow hunky 90s male model i love it so much screaming screaming (laughs) there's like a cut the tension by sweeping all the chess pieces from the board moment and i like teen me was like quivering for it quivering um i'm dying which dying later was followed i can't i think it must have been after that i i watched the original thomas crown affair because i think the pierce brosnan renee russo remake was like from around that time as well like late 90s early 2000s and so renee russo is so perfectly cast in that like there is no one like her like her sexy neck like she is so well cast in that movie also a white woman in tawny lipstick like what a 90s moment you know (laughs) like what a what a 90s moment oh that is good the original also good i think the last time i watched the original and we watched it together no doubt because i'm gonna say because i love it because it also contains a sexy chest scene (laughs) (laughs) like that is why i bring it up there's like how have I not known that you were a slut for chess? Like, who knew? And I actually, like, it's very, it is it is fully in the realm of fantasy in the sense of, like, this is not something I actually, like, want to enact in my own sex life. Like, never have I, like, like you know, approached a sexual partner and been like, okay, so here, just, just hear me out here. Like, let's just sit on opposite sides of this chessboard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like firmly something that like I enjoy like other people engaging in. Like I like it like if, like fully just in the realm of fantasy. And so so anyway, the, you can draw screaming. a line directly from Madonna's Power of Goodbye video through the Thomas Crown Affair, the original and the the remake to the Queen's Gambit. And I this is like my greatest joy is like you know like biting biting lip like whose move is next like whatever coupled with like you know women excelling which is obviously like my favorite genre of anything so uh, yes that the thing the acting in queen's gambit is so good that i've forgiven the fact that they're inexplicably in a um like an integrated orphanage you know like oh. in the beginning of the the story which like is only done to serve the fact that they're going to introduce this like magical negro character and the actress who plays the black friend in that is such a good like she's such a such a such a such a presence Mm -hmm. that i am like i am momentarily like forgetting the problematic aspects of this because it was really what i needed like i watched that in one sitting like i am not ashamed to say i watched like seven hours of like television in one sitting it was so good Mm. Not saving it for me time like I am. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-mm, not saving it for me time. I was like, I watched it and then I watched it again. I will also not forgive the Queen's Gambit for even momentarily making you think that um, the kid from Love Actually, you know, the like uh, the airport running child mm-hmm. from Love Actually is like maybe handsome. I was like, this is like guillotine. Unforgivable. I feel like I have the relationship to that guy the way that I do to like hot priest from Fleabag where I'm just like fascinating to watch this play out. Like, like this is ticking zero sexual boxes for me. Like, it's really interesting that everyone is like having that experience because like, wow, I have not bought what they are selling. Oh man. The hot priest, like it was the, in Fleabag is one of the most contentious arguments in my group chat (laughs) where it was like, you know, is like, is he hot or is he sexy? And we decided that he's sexy because 
of the 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 priesthood of it all but i similarly did not buy it like the priest makes me deeply uncomfortable and i was not into it and i was not here for people being attracted to it like it's my i am not catholic at all but it's uh it falls into like my haram box and i was like this is not working for me i didn't that could go any either direction i thought you were gonna say it falls into my haram box which is why it is sort of sexy <laughs> like i really no, thought you were this is like like way. i like there there are three things that i like you know i'm like like full haram like cannot be attracted to and like a priest is 100% one of them even though my mom's like a like a another secret i have is that one of my mom's favorite books was um god the uh, thornbirds <laughs> And I like a one hundred percent read it in secret. You know, like it would be like, "Who moved my book?" And I'm like, "I don't know." And then I'm reading it and being like, "I am feeling feelings in the bottom of my stomach." Quivers like, again. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's happening here? Um, what else is good on the television box? Honestly, this season of Bake Off is not incredible, but there have been some like incredible moments. Um, that like these amateur bakers really are amateurs, you know, like I just like cannot, I just cannot with how it like, yeah, this show is just, it's just, a, it's a British Xanax. You're just like, there are no stakes. The baking is so bad. Um, did you watch the first episode where they had to make cakes in like the likeness of famous people? And there's this like Lupita Nyong'o cake <laughs> that honestly Lupita should sue the entirety of the United Kingdom because of this cake. It's so awful. Even if you don't watch Bake Off, please just Google it so you can see the picture. Like the picture is iconic. And it's the, f I, I am proud to say that it was my first real laugh in quarantine. Like of everything that could have made me laugh, this was the one time that I laughed so hard I cried. And I was like, okay, nature is healing. Like things are like, I am laughing again. This is amazing. I was fully weeping. And I have to say that like, uh, okay, also lumpy David Bowie. Like there are so many highlights of that episode. <laughs> like, I really, um, yeah. It's, really. The, it's the first episode of the season. So truly, if you're listening and you're like, I don't really fuck with Bake Off, like just do it, rewind, you know, like fast forward and then to like 20 or 30 minutes in and you are golden. It's like truly incredible television. But it's so good. I was thinking about this because I don't watch um, Nailed It or like shows that are really about people kind of like failing at project baking mm -hmm. at ridiculous baking projects like this not really my thing i'm not that interested and i think that there's something about the fact that like this is like a more serious container like these are so it's so sincere that people are like i'm trying to do a good job here it's not about making something garish right. and that's why it's so funny like also just like the kind of proper confines of like um you know splitting hairs about what is or isn't a bakewell tart or like whatever like arguing <laughs> arguing about like the these like these like ultimately kind of like rigid but meaningless categories of like different baked goods i have to say like introducing it into that environment is part of what made it so funny like it really i agree with you i wept i was laughing so hard like rewind and watched it again it is like the the late quarantine shot of serotonin i really needed oh god i was like my serotonin has gone to war when will it come back it has come back uh, <laughs> it's come back in um, the form of a new lupita nyongo cake <laughs> I know. Um, what else? Like we're both watching on HBO Max that um, the the crafting kids show, Craftopia. Um, Craftopia, very delightful. I will say I like kids doing things like that, and it's not like overly competitive or like bitchy or whatever. That is also like Xanax for me, so I'm into that. 
What else? I mean, Otherwise, I feel I feel like I've I've just been I've just been watching like bad documentaries. If I'm honest, did you watch the octopus one on Netflix? Um, no, I have not seen it. I am saving that for me time. <laughs> That is, that is my, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I have been saving that for me time. I was like, I'm going to need, um, you know, like probably around Thanksgiving or Christmas when things are really, really like dark and dire, I'm going to need this. And that's what I'm saving the octopus documentary for. I love it. Yes. A hundred percent. I have been like lately when I just want something on in the background while I'm, you know, cooking or puttering around, I've been doing like a Golden Girls revisit, which um, I know everybody is revisiting comfort TV, but it is reminding me of this very brief period of my life. It was like when I lived in DC, the only time in my life I've had a gym membership briefly, and I would run to the gym and like two blocks away, and then I would do the elliptical for the duration of one Golden Girls episode, and then I would run back (laughs) to my house one block away, and that was like my fitness regimen. And it's funny because like I haven't really engaged with it since then, but it's been my like background, whatever. And it's doing the trick, you know, it's like that low stakes kind of like, it's like the, the thunder vest of television, you know, that's yeah. so funny. I, I'm like laughing hearing you say that because the one time that I had a serious gym membership, all I would watch on the TV was Food Network <laughs> and I would walk, I would work out so hard to like Food Network and then go home and I'm like, I want to eat every single thing in my house. I wonder why. And it was the stupid treadmill Food Network connection. Ah, well, I'll tell you. Well, one other thing I'm watching is um, former former guest and friend of the podcast, um, Maurice Harris on In Bloom. I love like uh, I love a like a crafty like low stakes competitive show, and it's it's like checking uh, that box for me. Um, and also just like yes, I would I do want to look at flowers right now. Thank you. It looks so good. It looks so good. And honestly, before this, I was like I had never seen a flower arranging show before. So that is actually like lovely. And uh, I like these bouquets. And I will keep buying flowers because I have no interest in arranging my own. Fully. So it's a uh, it's a perfect. The TV comfort is like back. There was a moment in quarantine where I like really could not focus on screens. Like, uh, you know, it's like in season one, we had Tiger King. And after that, I really couldn't watch any TV at all. Right. You were but doing like movies only. That. Yeah, I was doing movies only. And um, I'm uh, still doing a lot of movies, if I'm honest. Criterion Collection is like the app is treating me very correctly. And I'm into it. But it's nice to watch TV again. It's nice to watch TV again. Maybe one day I'll read books again. But for now, I was like, uh, I'm on the TV train. I'll tell you what else I revisited recently. Um, like in your mention of Criterion made me think of this is uh, The Host, the Bong Joon-ho film from 2006. Ooh, which so I, good. I remember seeing in the theater as a person who does not really do like horror um i think i i went in being kind of afraid it was going to be like gross out or something i mean with a name like that Mm -hmm. it sort of implies and i i have a visceral memory of just being so delighted when i left the movie theater um remember movie theaters anyway and i had not seen it since then since like you know it was originally released like you know and now um Obviously, like there is more context for his work, but um, it really brought me a lot of joy. Like it, 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 it manages to do this thing that I think like 
Parasite also does and some of my favorite movies also do which is to say that like something really intense is happening on screen but because the director has decided that the tone is going to be light or is going to be funny or whatever you're able to kind of separate like what your brain would normally associate with like the kind of difficult emotional experience and instead like enjoy it in the like farce or the gross out comedy or the like you know satire or whatever context that the director has really placed on it and that like the host feels like a master class in that to me where I'm like I don't like monster movies I don't like scary movies I don't like horror movies um and and yet uh, I laughed at, at this like all the way through. I love this for you. <laughs> um, I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm going to revisit that soon. Well, no, you know, I have, a, I have a list that I'm working my way through. So I'm going to, I'm going to work on my list. A list. Yeah. I have a list of movies. I really, I really want to see. I'm watching the, the, the cinema dude bro canon. Cause I realized that I had really never, the, my experience of watching Criterion honestly has been this and of being like, okay, I'm going to be a serious, like a cinema person. My experience of watching all of these movies is that my parents had really excellent taste mm. because these are all the movies that like my dad would watch all the time. And so it's been fun to like talk to him about it. And he's like, oh, finally, you're taking me seriously. And I was like, uh, yeah. Or some things that I just watched when I was like too young to watch. Like one of the movies that I just rewatched recently was Kramer v. Kramer. Oh, yeah. And first of all, I cannot believe my parents let me watch Kramer v. Kramer when I was a child. I was like, that's insane. I like, also saw it I, like, pretty young. Yeah. I was like, what a like negative parenting moment over here. <laughs> this is bad. But also, um, that movie is amazing. Like the like truly one of the highlights of um like watching movies recently. Meryl Streep, like amazing, amazing, amazing. I, um, Dustin Hoffman, I get it, like, can act. Like, it was, you know, like, I'm like, I've always known this, but I, like, didn't really know. I was like, oh, yeah, I was, like, too young for all of these movies, actually. Um, so good. But also, when you, like, put it all in, like, a contemporary context of, like, you know, Meryl Streep being someone who has not really said a lot about Me Too, but her own experience on that set, and, like, Dustin Hoffman, like, full monster in general, you're like, okay. I like I am starting to understand like culturally what was happening in these moments because it's a movie that's essentially, you know, like it's essentially about how like, you know, maybe feminism has gone a little too far and fathers need rights, you know. And so if you're watching it in this like with an uncritical eye or take, you're just like, yeah, like single dads like, yes, give him more rights. Like he should be able to have his kid around and he should, you know, like fathers matter and like men are important and blah, blah, blah. And this like deadbeat mom. And then you're like, oh, no, here's the scam of society. Like, this is not a real polemic. You know, it is a polemic. It's like, wow, if only Hollywood would also take, like, women's rights as seriously as they're taking these, like, uh, late 70s, like, early 80s, like, men seriously, maybe we would get somewhere. So it's just, like, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch, like, a movie that is so good. Like, the movie is so good. Some of the people are so problematic. And then just, like, really look at it with this critical eye. And it is it is blowing my mind and complicating a lot of my own, like, it, I have, like, complicated feelings. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, don't love the artist. Love the art. Like, what what's happening here? I love it. Ugh. Okay, well, I'm going to revisit it and also prepare myself to be angry about the portrayal of men's rights in the late 70s. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're just like, like, you can, I just see why for my parents, this was such an important movie. You were like, okay, divorce, like so taboo, but also like, oh yeah, like the woman is who has like done this like kind of unforgivable thing here. Here's a way that also our laws are really biased 
towards mothers in essence but i'm just like okay i was like but that's also a scam it's because as a society we've decided that only women are um parents and this is fucked up but it's yeah it's just fascinating and i'm watching a lot of movies by like problematic men also that i will not name um you know so that i don't get canceled but i will say this some of those men made really good movies <laughs> i was like i get why people are mad i would like i finally get the like white man outrage of me too where they're like well so and so never make a movie again and i was like oh yeah the body of work is good i get it now okay i was like now now i i respect your outrage but like uh, yeah that person should not be allowed to make movies anymore goodbye right you like it is true that you are really good at what you do and also like privileges have been revoked you know <laughs> like both of those yeah things can be true. but i'm like yeah i was like who knew some of these like bad men i was like if instead of like harassing ladies you were just like making movies maybe <laughs> we would get further in life this is so wild right. and Anyway, all of this to say, Anne, the white man movie canon is very good. Very well done. Wow, I can't believe that that is where this episode has netted out. <laughs> Listen, I like to give credit where credit is due. Sometimes men do incredible things and I was like, give it up for them. Like some of these movies are phenomenal. I get it now. Right. And if you could see me right now, I'm wearing my men have made a lot of bad art t-shirt and just pointing at that <laughs> because that is also true. <laughs> Listen, it's true that men have made bad art. And sometimes you're like, Ugh, why are you defending this guy? Like he's made nothing or whatever. Or like we, you know, like we can do better than this. But sometimes you're like, no, like this shit is amazing. True. It is like legitimately amazing. And I understand the grievance better. I don't respect it, but I understand it. <laughs> You've had your turn. And also, um, what would have happened if instead of being a monster you had let the women of your era also have a turn maybe we would have amazing movies by them but we'll never know that a, a question for for every single art form and industry frankly right this is just basically one long ad for the criterion collection <laughs> app, like app that is amazing like i like i get no money for saying this but let me tell you that app is amazing and i am so happy to have it this show is Best, like uh, an ad for like mailing your friends like articles of clothing, the Criterion app, and like sexy chess. <laughs> and sexy chess. The other thing that I will say is that if there is like a cool indie cinema in your town and you are looking for ways to support them in the pandemic, you should look to see if they're doing like digital subscriptions, like the Metrograph in New York is. And I have also really enjoyed, that's like some of the best pandemic money I've spent. I'm so happy to do it. And I get to watch the movies in my house and you know, like the cuts are amazing and independent cinema is an institution and we really should support it. Yes. Okay. On that note, I will see you on the internet. I will see you on the internet. Um, please mail me your Lux clothes that you were getting rid of. And uh, good luck uh, sorting through all your stuff. Don't at me when the shipping container of tote bags arrives at your house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any totes, and I'm <laughs> looking for cool shirts. I want some cool shirts. If you have leather anything and uh, some jackets. All right. Okay. I love you. Bye. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>